loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He, he scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied. Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns. He shoots. Yes! Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association. This is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Hey everyone, and welcome in here to another edition of Pick and Pod at WFUV Sports. I'm Nick Feta, Thomas Ayello, and Kelly Bright are with me here as well. We've got a lot to talk, particularly in New York hoops, the Knicks, the Nets. Uh, we'll get into a little bit of Kyrie. Uh, Clay Thompson returns for the Warriors soon. Kawhi Leonard injury news. That's all coming up. Uh, but guys, I want to start with the madness at the Mecca last night. Uh, the Knicks defeat the Celtics 108-105 in buzzer beater fashion. R.J. Barrett hits the bank three. I don't know if he called it, but bank three over Tatum. Wins the game for the Knicks. Uh, we'll talk him in a bit. But this game was not particularly close to the first half. The Knicks really were struggling for a large portion of this game. Uh, largest deficit of the of the game for them was 25 points, and they were down 16 at half. Kelly, you were there. What did this Knicks team look like at their lowest? Uh, did you think they had any chance of getting back in this game? Well, first of all, Nick, it was by far the craziest game that I've been to as a beer reporter or a fan. I mean, the first half, though, wasn't. It was pretty boring. I myself, I'm biased. I am a Celtics fan, so I, I was cruising, having a great time in that first half. I mean, the Celtics were shooting lights out. I mean, just couldn't miss a shot. And the Knicks were the opposite. Uh, I believe RJ had zero points at that point. He was he the first quarter. He definitely had zero. He might have had two to four points uh, by the end of the first half. But it just. I mean, Evan Fournier was lights out starting from the first quarter. You just knew. I mean, he's been successful against the Celtics all season. But you you could tell he was going to have a game. But besides that, uh, the starting lineup was struggling. Uh, Randall had a very slow start. So watching that first half, I really wasn't confident for the Knicks. I, 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 to me, it just seemed like, all right, here's another game where they blow it to a team that they should probably beat, if not stay close with. So to be honest, I didn't see what happened in the second half, especially that fourth quarter, coming at all, uh, to be honest. It really seemed like it was all Celtics. But to be fair, going from the second quarter to the third quarter, the Knicks went on a, I believe it ended up being a 13-0 run. So I think to me, that's really where the momentum shifted. But we can go more into the game uh, later. I know this is just my initial reaction to that first half. But uh, reporters were asking Evan Fournier what, to him, what was like the, the turning point? What was that one moment? And he, he said there wasn't one moment. There wasn't one shot or one play that really uh, shifted that momentum for the Knicks. It was just something that happened over time, play by play, shot by shot. Just they climbed out of that hole. Um, if you're a Knicks fan, I know, and I know Thomas, you you, you yourself are a diehard Knicks fan. Uh, gotta be gotta be a positive thing watching this team being able to mount a comeback like that, uh, given how their season has gone so far. I do kind of want to touch on uh, Evan Fournier, Kelly. I know that I was, uh, I guess, inadvertently bullying you about being a Celtics fan last night because I sent you a pretty wild Evan Fournier meme. But he has probably been, and Nick will agree with me the most frustrating player on the Knicks team this season. I mean, the Frenchman just decides which games he wants to show up. And there's games, I'm looking at his game log here, versus the Thunder, he was just historically horrible. 
he really did next to nothing. And then he comes out here today to play, or last night, to play the Celtics, and he drops 41 on 10 of 14 shooting. And that's what it took for the Knicks to beat a, I'd say, battered-up Boston team. Tatum and Brown, or I used to be on the side of, you know, they need each other, and now it's break that up. Because I don't think that's going to fit down in the future. We can talk about that in a minute. But Evan Fournier, again, 10 of 14 from three, 15 of 25 from the field, 41 points. But yeah, the Knicks, they just randomly decide when to show up. And tonight was one of those nights where they had an epic spurt. They were horrible in the first half. They got outscored 38-29 in the second quarter. And then they came alive in the third, and they mounted that massive comeback, or at least to start it. And then the fourth quarter, they go 31-21 to 21 over Boston. It was, it was like, where was this the entire first half? So the Knicks' problem, obviously, is starting games. But then their second issue was just consistency from people. And again, Evan Fournier, the Frenchman, Julius Randle was awful in the first half. He ended up with 22-8. and eight. R.J. Barrett went 4-15 from the field, and he hit the game winner, of course. But other than that, he was atrocious. I mean, it took... Old as hell, Taj Gibson, he had to give them 21 minutes for them to win tonight. Emmanuel quickly was pretty much playing the entire second half, and I have personally no issues with that. No. But if there's going to be inconsistencies like this and you're struggling to beat a Boston team that's in this state, I don't know what they can do. And again, it was a great win for the Knicks and it was a great moment for R.J. Barrett. But if you put some more context into the bigger picture – this is just what they've been the entire year. Again, it's inconsistencies, people deciding when to not show up and when to show up. And Julius Randle, man, with the, with the thumbs down, I think was the most spectacular thing I saw last night with the thumbs down. And I do have to give a shout out to FUV alumni, uh, KFC Radio. Kevin, he tweeted this out about Randle with the thumbs down. He said, as a Mets fan, I can say, Julius, this is not going to end well. So I'm... I'm crossing my fingers. I'm holding my breath that nothing hellaciously disastrous happens to the point where the Knicks season is over by, let's say, January 31st, okay? That's, that's, I'm just holding my breath over here. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting for me with Randall because you don't want to call him, you know, like a one-hit wonder almost with that all-star season last year because he was spectacular. He skyrocketed over any expectations he that any Knicks fan had. Uh, but this year has been a tremendous step back, I would say. Uh, it's really the, the inconsistency that uh, you mentioned before, Thomas, with him, with Fournier, with, with RJ. You know, those three guys, especially with no Kemba playing, are, are, are really the heart and soul of the Knicks offense. You know, those are the guys you're really looking for uh, to get you the big buckets. Fournier, of course, came in clutch last night, career high with 41. But, uh, you know, you take the 41, but then also you got nights where he scores seven on, on three for 12 shooting. Uh, okay. It's just not really an, an acceptable or or. That's what I mean, right? It's not an efficient way of playing. You can average twenty points, but if you're scoring thirty or forty and then zero or or you know ten and he 30, just chooses the games he wants to show up in. Exactly, and it's it's the problem of that where you can't you can't pick and choose. You got to come out every night with the same energy, and yeah, you're gonna have off nights, but. The, the level of inconsistency and, and the amount of those off nights uh, from whether it's two out of the three of them, whether it's three out of three, uh, you know, Evan Fournier doesn't score 41. Evan Fournier doesn't score 30, 38 points and the Knicks lose this game. Uh, so it's it's just not, you know, it's exciting to watch, but it's, it's troublesome too when it takes that much all the way down to the wire uh, 
with a guy dropping 40 points for them really to to claw their way to a win. Uh, and then, you know, Randall going back to that thumbs down idea, sure, getting booed for what he's done is, is maybe a little inappropriate, but, you know, it's New York, man. You love playing here. It's, it's, it's tough, tough love, I think, in a way, more so than booing as in uh, a hateful way. But I think that's the only way kind of that Knicks fans think they can get him going here because uh, Julius Randle last year was a surefire all-star. No one had any questions with that. You look at the returns from the ballots this year, he's not even close to being an all-star this year, uh, and rightfully so. His numbers haven't shown that. The Knicks record haven't shown that. Uh, so I think the thumbs down will be interesting. Hopefully it's a little spark for him. Uh, if he wants to keep putting the thumbs down to say, screw you to the fans and, and he can start playing well, I'm okay with that. Uh, but who knows there? And then guys, I, I one one another you know problem I think I have, but I always struggle with it because he is so young, literally our age, is RJ Barrett, how he's just such a tremendous talent, uh, but the inconsistency with him as well just goes to show. Uh, you know, he played tremendously in that first half against the Pacers in their in the Knicks' last win for the Celtics. Uh, then they had a quiet second half. There's the streakiness, right? Uh, and then he comes into last night's game and has 13, horrific shooting, uh, but he banks in the game-winning shot. So you kind of forget all about it. Uh, it it's just, you know, I, I don't know where really to even look sometimes, uh, but I will transition to one, I guess, bright point outside of the Fournier scoring. Uh, one guy who I, I I think I'm... I want him to to be arguably if, if Alec Burke's another guy who has a lot of streaky nights, played 37 minutes, had three points, but he had nine rebounds, seven assists, solid efficiency night besides the shooting. Uh, but Emmanuel quickly, like you said, Tom, in the second half, he basically played the whole thing, and he was tremendous. He was a tremendous facilitator. He, he scored, I think, maybe six points in that second half, but he was remarkable controlling the ball, getting guys where they needed to be, locking down on defense. Uh, it's you know, that was the type of effort I wanted to see from the whole team that was there in certain moments, uh, but certainly not the whole game. So props to IQ. That That's my guy. And then with the Celtics, uh, you know, Kelly, your, your boy Jason Tatum seems to kind of really be it over there. You know, they got some scoring <laughs> in Schroeder and, and, and Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, but Jason Tatum, without him in that game, it's a very similar story without Evan Fournier for the Knicks. Uh, it, it's a just total different game, perhaps a blowout really, uh, without Tatum on the court doing what he's doing, both scoring and playmaking. Uh, before I get into Tatum, let me just quickly, I have to throw in my comments on the whole Julius Randle thumbs down thing. Um, to me, maybe this is a little different from, I think, a popular opinion amongst Knicks fans, but I don't really have a problem with it. I don't. Um, there might be some backlash maybe on, on some butthurt fans, but to me, ball don't lie. That's, yeah. that's try and true. You know, if, if you want to silence the crowd, if you want to throw your thumbs up, like win games, put up 20 plus points uh, night in and night out. And I think one thing that Evan Fournier said when uh, Mark Berman from the New York Post asked him about Julius Randle's thumb down, thumbs down and then subsequent comments, he said, listen, you know, I, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically – Randall is the guy for this team. He's the, he's basically the namesake of this franchise. So he's going to receive a bulk of the criticism. He's going to be, he's going to have more pressure on him to perform. He's going to get booed. He's going to get that biggest criticism from the media and the fans. So yeah, I mean, it's gotta be frustrating as a player. I know, um, you know, we've all played sports. It's not great to be booed. It's not great to be hated on by people that are supposed to support you. So I understand there being some extent of a reaction, but to me, I think, 
Uh, moving forward, I think the best way for him to silence fans, to get them back on his side, is to just show out and keep winning games. Um, but let's talk about the Celtics. Uh, it's been a painful year as a fan. Painful two years, to be honest. I mean, this is a team that went from making the Eastern Conference Finals three out of four seasons, and then last year they finished 500. This year, uh, if they keep playing like they are, they're going to finish below 500, at least at the halfway point of the season. So like the Knicks, I think this is a team – who's underperforming given the talent that's on their roster, given the success that they've had in the past and have been have proven um, that they can have. So to me, um, Thomas, I know for a fact that we disagree on this. I'm not, I'm hesitant to blow this whole thing up. Um, to me, when we get to the trade deadline, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown are going to be two of the biggest names that teams are going to want to go after because I'm, like many people are assuming that the Celtics organization is going to be grasping for straws to turn something around. But to me, these are two of the best young guys in the league. I mean, Jason Tatum's 23. Uh, Jalen Brown's, what, 25? These are young 20, players. Yeah, 25. They're very 25. young. That's the They're very part. young. They have, they're obviously very talented, both all-star level players. And to me, yes, uh, I, and there's something wrong here. And, it, and, and game after game, week after week, it's been a struggle for me to really find an answer, but to me, getting rid of your two best players who, like you said, you know, Tatum's not in that game yesterday. He had 36 points, nine, nine assists. I believe if he's not there. The game's not even close. And, and same, I think Jalen Brown needs to get involved more, especially later on. I mean, he was pretty much silent in, in the second half, especially that fourth quarter. And I think a reason for that is not so much Jalen and Jason, but more so the guys around them. So to me, having Schroeder and Smart being the two guys that you're getting the ball to in the fourth quarter down the stretch, uh, there's a reason they keep losing in the fourth quarter. I mean, Marcus Smart shouldn't be your shooting guard in that situation. Schroeder's a 33%, 33% three-point shooter at best. Uh, not really the two guys you want to be giving the ball to. And the way the Celtics are running their offense right now, uh, they're taking away from Tatum and Brown, to be honest, because they keep those are the two guys driving then having to kick out to your lesser shooters, your lesser scores. And it's just not working. Um, I could go on and on. I, I, I don't want to do that right now. So Thomas, you might want to take over, but it's definitely been a frustrating thing to watch as a Celtics fan, especially for a team just like the Knicks that has the talent to win games and they're just not doing it. The biggest mistake that Brad Stevens made, there's probably two or three of them. I think the first one is resigning from being coach. I thought that was a mistake. The second one was trading away Kemba. Why'd you throw in the first round pick to just to bring Horford back? I mean, that I understand that they needed a big and they needed someone who could play down low with Embiid's and Bam out of bios, but you don't trade a draft pick in the first round when your assets are just really slimmed down. And now they have Marcus Smart signed to a crazy extension. And I was sort of, you know, trade him away. There's no reason to keep him around, especially with the direction that they're going in. And if we're going to look at the fourth quarter of last night, Jalen Brown took one shot attempt. He played eight minutes. He grabbed one rebound and he had one turnover. He was a minus five in the fourth quarter. The entire second half, he went two for six. And in the words of um, one of my Boston Celtics fans that I know, other than Kelly, he, he says, quote, Jalen Brown looked inebriated that entire second half. Why is this guy still on the team? So I don't know. I'm, I'm just generalizing at this point with how 
Boston fans feel about this whole thing. Um, but I think Kelly, you might be right. It is time to, it might be time to, to blow it up in a way. I, I, I don't know. I'm not it, up, though. Like, I think you look at this, the other pieces or maybe look to add another guy, but I think losing Jalen or Jason, like, I mean, as a Celtics fan, like this team is too good to go into total rebuild mode, you know? But see, here's, here's the thing though. Riddle me this. What assets do they have? that they can trade away for stuff. I mean, you're going to trade away Dennis Schroeder at how much better you're going to get with whatever, with whatever comes back for him. Are you going to get rid of Al Horford? I don't think he has much value. You probably can't trade Robert Williams. He's too important. You probably have to pick Tatum or Brown. And I would probably pick Tatum to keep on my team at least. And then I would get rid of Brown and see if you can get a, a number of assets back for him, because that's probably the only way, at least in the long run, that the Boston Celtics get better. And Ime Udoka also had some, some quote at the end of the night last night where he said the team lacks mental toughness and then Marcus Smart was doing his thing and Tatum responded. It's, it's just really a disaster. And it really, question, it really comes to mind, at least for me, if Ime Udoka has lost the team already and we're only at January, we're recording this January 7th on a Friday. If they've really lost the team, he's lost the team already, that's a big red flag to me. And again, them and the Pacers are in the same boat. They just, I don't know where they go, man. They're just in purgatory. They, they're not bad enough to be in the tank bowl, but they're also not good enough to compete with the Nets or the Bulls or any of these great teams. So I don't know, again, what they can do. But last night, man, it, that was just, that was the, I think that was the collapse of the season. That, that might've been it. That really might have been it. In my I, I want to say, I think with the whole trade talk, if you think to even move Jason Tatum as the Boston Celtics, I think that uh, would be crazy. Moron. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's even remotely on their mind. That guy is, is the franchise player. Uh, he's a top, I don't even know, three to five players of 23 or under, you know, there's so many ridiculous talents that are so young in the NBA nowadays, but uh, Tatum is the clear untouchable to me. I think uh, Boston has two options here, and I think I, if if I'm Brad Stevens now up in the office, uh, you make the moves uh, targeting Jalen Brown specifically. Because if you sit on this team with what they are right now, I would say you're lucky to get uh, any seed from ranging from 7 to 10 for a play-in. Very yeah, similar play-in to, to what happened last year. Uh, or you maybe you don't even make the playoffs at all, depending on... You know, COVID guys getting out. If Jason Tatum gets COVID and has to miss five games, you're most likely looking at four or five losses if you're Boston. Uh, but Jalen Brown has a lot of trade value. He's young. He's talented. I think he's one of the best two-way players in the game. Uh, and, you know, it's it's really hard to see or to say, has he reached his full, full potential? Because he isn't necessarily in the shadow of Tatum, but having the share that light with with the two of them, two guys that kind of play in very similar ways. Uh, it's tough. It's tough to show exactly the full potential uh, that you have. I think they've, they've had the chance to show how they can play together, and it hasn't proved anything really uh, except a, a, maybe some solid wins in the regular season if both of them have 30 points in a game. Uh, but it's clear that's just not really the efficient way for them. And I think that's you know the problem that, like we said, the Knicks and Celtics have very similarly – uh, where the efficiency is just not there sometimes. I think the Knicks are in better shape uh, because I believe they're deeper. They they have more options, but 
it's it's you know with Tatum just being the the downright superstar he is at this point, uh, I think that's very clear to say. Uh, and then kind of Jalen Brown being that Robin almost to the Batman, I, I think it's time to make a move there. Uh, you know, and then Thomas, you brought up the Pacers. It's kind of similar with them too. Uh, actually, you know what? I'll save them when we talk about the Nets because the Nets just had a nice win against them. Uh, but I'll close with the Celtics here, and then we'll we'll move to the Nets. Uh, my move here is trade deadline approaching, not rapidly, but it is approaching. Uh, if you're the Celtics and you really want to see a change to potentially make a push, uh, you shop Jalen Brown because that's a guy who's got a lot of value. Uh, and Brad Stevens has shown he knows what he's doing when putting a team together. Danny Ainge used to, obviously, but uh, maybe not Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens. Yeah, I was going to say in that Brad sense. Stevens might have to go back to Butler. That's, <laughs> he might that's, have to. He might <laughs> have to. He might uh, have to. If Look, you learned anything from being under Danny Ainge, putting te- putting a team together, uh, it should be a, a pretty solid task for him, and he should be pretty successful. But who knows? In that sense, a lot of questions for Boston. Celtics uh, get rid of Brown, just get someone better. That's all I'm asking. Don't. You know, get that's him. that's the interesting thing. Can you maybe make a trade straight up for someone who's a little older, a little better, uh, but Brown's got more potential. So, I, I have a lot of questions there. But once the trade deadline gets a little closer, I think those questions will clear up a bit. Uh, guys, let's go over to Brooklyn now. Uh, obviously, the big news was Kyrie Irving's return. Uh, Thirty-five games into the season. You know, obviously the drama with him still going to be around for sure, but at least it's settled a bit. Uh, the Nets seem to welcome him back happily. Him and KD had no problems. You see all the videos all over them uh, dapping each other up, shaking hands, high fives, whatever it is. Uh, the Nets are happy to have him back. He had 22 points, three rebounds, four assists, and 32 minutes of play. Uh, solid Kyrie Irving night, guys. The, the highlights from him uh, were, were very typical. He was doing things that he had been able to do from before, I, I never really had a worry if he was going to be able to come and play. I don't think many fans did. Um, he's one of the best offensive talents the league has right now. Uh, but like I mentioned before the show started, uh, it's it's very clear that the main guy of this team is still potential MVP, Kevin Durant. 39 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. Uh, it was a very f- full game for the Nets. They had a lot of guys in double figures. Uh, and with KD leading the way, close to 40 points. I don't really see how they could lose games except for if they don't play great defense. Giving up 121 points to the Pacers, who are a relatively weak team, uh, also a COVID hit team, no Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, it's a little disappointing. I wouldn't say threatening for the Nets, uh, but it's a little disappointing. These guys, you know, now I think are kind of reaching their full form, per se, with Kyrie coming back. Uh, it's their chance to really show the league, potentially they are the number one team in the league, not even in the in the East, or not a top team in the East, or a top team in the league. Uh, full force on paper, the Nets, I said it all the time last year, and I got proved wrong, uh, were the best team in the league. But do you guys think they're back there yet? Do you think they have the ability to get back there? Uh, is it going to be a, a bumpy road? What are we thinking as far as how the Nets can kind of propel themselves to really say, yeah, this is us, we're here? Uh, for me, first of all, I got to give Kyrie props, and I got to give the Nets props, because I've I've definitely been outspoken on how I think this, I thought this was a bad idea, uh, bringing Irving back, especially knowing that he can only play in what, 24, 21, 22 more games? He's going to play in like half of the games. Right, I think it's 21 more games. Luckily, 11 of their next 17 are away games. So we'll see him a lot in the next few months. Uh, But one thing I've kind of taken into consideration, especially seeing how he played uh, in that game there, scoring 22 points, is that every team right now, every team, including Utah now, 
has had to deal with players missing games and having different different lineups every game. Now, that's been because of COVID or injuries, but in this situation, it's someone who's not vaccinated. But it's the same concept. Yep. Teams have had to adjust to having a different lineup, having different starting five, night in and night out. And Brooklyn's had practice doing that now, just like every team has. So uh, <laughs> maybe it won't be that much of a problem. And honestly, uh, you mentioned letting letting the Indiana Pacers score that many points and honestly making Lance Stevenson look like yeah. he's still in his prime. Uh, but thinking back on the Nets last year, that was always their biggest critique was that they lacked defense. You know, that that's always been their issue. This team's identity is off offense. They have three of the best, best offensive guys in the league. You know, you mentioned Kevin Durant. If you have Kevin Durant on your team, you're you're already you're already going to be a contender no matter what. And then you add Harden and now Irving who can bring 20 plus points per game uh, when he's available. Not to mention other guys who have had to step up with him not being there. Patty Mills, Marcus Aldridge, Benbury, like all these guys who now have had experience uh, in clutch situation. That's, that's going to be really valuable uh, down the stretch in the season. So uh, this team I think is a contender, whether or not they're going to beat a team like the Warriors, uh, especially when they get clay back. Maybe that's still up for debate, but I definitely think this team is so offensively overpowered that uh, they're going to be dangerous moving forward against any team uh, that they may play. Nick, you said the Nets aren't good at defense, right? Or at least that's what's going to come down to. Oh, I didn't, I didn't necessarily yeah. say they were good or bad at defense. Yeah. I just said giving up 120 points to a weak Pacers team is not a good sign. Yeah, no, I agree because they're actually <laughs> they're seventh in defensive rating, but then you're actually you're correct where you give up 121 and you only win by by eight points, whatever it was, is pretty mind-boggling. But it's really going to come down to, and I, I like to pick on this guy quite a bit because it is funny. But James Harden in the playoffs, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, are we gonna which James Harden are we gonna get? In the playoffs, are we going to get 2017 when he has a, a meltdown versus Manu Ginobili? Are we going to get 2020 where it's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of here and Lou Dort and I are having a, a beef. Is he going to be up and down versus the Lakers in the bubble in the second? Which Harden are we going to get in the playoffs? And it's really going to depend on which one of him shows up. But his regular season performance can be described pretty much as underwhelming this season. I mean, he just really hasn't been good and could that be from the NBA rules probably I mean he's averaging 22 and a half points on 42 percent shooting and he's shooting 33 percent from three those are massive uh, I'd say drops from last season because last season 47 percent from the field he shot 37 percent from three I mean what what happened to this guy he just his numbers really took a humongous dip and now that that Kyrie is back hopefully is immunized let's hope he's immunized now that he's back, we're going to maybe see Harden, you know, disappear behind the curtain a little bit more than you would like to if you're Steve Nash. And he's probably the main ball handler for this team. And I understand that he's taken a step back. He's trying to play more of the point guard role. But again, you need as many stars as you can get in the playoffs, especially against the Bucks, because they, they look primed to go on another finals run, in my opinion. If it's not going to be them or the Nets, the Bulls, like those are the top three, at least for me right now. Uh, but the Bucks are the really are the real challenge. I think you can beat the Bulls. They're not ready to go in a playoff run like that. But the Bull, the Bucks are going to be that one team. And 
the Nets just need all of them to get on board. And I don't think outside of those three, two really, if you count discount Harden just being average, like Harden average, if you will, that's how high his bar is. I don't know what the ceiling is for this team. And again, they beat the Pacers by, by eight. Durant has to score 39. MV, is he the MVP? Probably, because Steph just hit a wall. Uh, but again, it's just like Blake Griffin gives you five minutes of nothing. Joe John, or James Johnson, excuse me, is giving you five minutes of five points. So they're not going to win with, with that surrounding the big three. And I, I, don't, I don't believe in them because I, I tweeted out last year that they're, they're the champions in the second round and that, that bit me in the behind. So now I don't want to declare them as anything. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not buying stock. I'm selling. I think with, you know, Harden has had his, <clears throat> like many players, many stars in the league this year, his inconsistency issues. Uh, he's had spurts where he's looked like James Harden for two or three games where he's scoring 28, dishing out 10 assists, grabbing eight rebounds. Uh, but those games, you know, it's it's hard to tell when exactly they're going to come. Uh, I think it's all about really finding this identity with, uh, you know, with, with the new, I guess, big three coming back again. They haven't played together in a very long time. If you think about the injuries from last year's playoffs, Kyrie, uh, the fact that he's going to only be playing in the road games could be difficult. Uh, my question too is, and then in the playoffs, what's going to happen? Uh, is he really going to decide, okay, I won't play in games one and two, but I'll see you guys on the road. Uh, it's just really, you know, a fascinating thing. I think the Nets are going to have to grapple with. I could see it potentially holding them back, uh, but you know, I, I like this Nets group with, with guys like DeAndre Bembry have stepped up. Uh, Patty Mills has been spectacular this year. Marcus Aldridge has been played relatively well from from the fact that he just came out of retirement. Uh, so they have some pieces, but it, it really does come down to, again, the big three. Knowing their roles, is KD going to drop 30? Is Kyrie going to drop 25? Is Harden going to drop 20? Because uh, it's going to have to come... Between those three, you're looking at around 65, 70 points needed of offense, I think. Maybe more, um, because they're just so explosive offensively, those three, when they get going, uh, where it's really not fair. But uh, in the rest of the league's defense, you haven't really seen much of it. You haven't seen much of those three guys giving 100%, uh, showing their 100%, uh, which I think is still scary that it hasn't been seen, but it's also maybe a sign. Uh, when are they going to really get going? You know, I think this is year two. Obviously, it's a very bumpy year, too. But when are they going to show that, you know, putting these three guys together really is is a, a dynamite for the league? It's it's blowing everything up. It's not giving other teams a chance. Because, again, Thomas, I agree with you 100%. The Bucks are the team in the East. They're the champs. you got to go through them. Uh, and they don't look like they're slowing down. Giannis doesn't. Drew Holiday looks great. Middleton looks great. And, and that bench unit, those role players, it's basically the same team from last year that went to the finals. So they're ready to go. I think as long as, again, COVID and injuries stay out of the way, um, always the big what if nowadays. But uh, again, I, I really think it does come down to Harden. I kind of agree with you because you know what you're getting from Kevin Durant. Kyrie Irving is, is the wild card, of course, but you have to come to expect that now. I don't think anyone's really thinking Kyrie's career, or at least season, is going to be normal. I think people are past that. Uh, but it's Harden. It's Harden, former MVP. Uh, only a few years ago, he's got to kind of show that he's still – can play up to that caliber when it really matters, uh, and I'm and I'm I, I have some faith, but again, I think teams like the Bucks and, and really I want to be high on the Bulls. I really do. Uh, who knows what their experience, what they'll be able to do? So far, it's been spectacular. Uh, but the rest of the NBA standings, I mean, I don't really think 
I, I think it does come down to the Bucks and the Nets because a lot of That's teams the out creme there that have creme some, right there. A lot of teams that have some good records, at least in the East, is what I mean. A lot of teams that have some good records or some mediocre records that could be better, could be worse, but none of them are really a top tier team in my mind. Uh, and it, I think it should come down to those two teams again. Uh, another grudge match. It's just a matter of, you know, the Bucks are going to be ready. I think there's a different sort of culture slash idea there. Uh, what they're trying to prove, especially protecting their title. Uh, but what sort of culture are the Nets going to bring? Are they just going to show up with their talent? Are they going to really have it refined and, and just a well-oiled machine ready to go? Is the main question there. Uh, speaking of well-oiled machines, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, big news for them. Clay Thompson returning, I believe. Thomas, I think you have the exact date. Is it supposed to be their next game? I think it's supposed to be on uh, Sunday. On I'm Sunday. Sure. so Because Brian Anderson couldn't stop talking about it. Brian Anderson uh, couldn't stop talking about it last night. I don't blame him because it's, it's exciting. Uh, guy's one of the most pure, just pure dudes that you could have in the league. I mean, Clay, Clay's a, just a great person to have back in the league. He's missed so much time, so unfortunately, uh, in, in the prime of his career as well. Warriors sit at 29-9 and nine right now, a game behind the Suns for first in the West. Uh, Clay Thompson should certainly help them regain that number one spot, I think. Guys, I don't even want to ask this question, but I will just for the sake of I asked it similarly with Kyrie. Do you think there's going to be any sort of bumps in the road here when, when, when Clay comes back? Is there going to be any sort of managing shots, who goes where? Uh, my answer is absolutely not, but I'm curious to see if you guys have anything different to offer with Clay Thompson returning to the Warriors. I, I mean, how can you look at this as a bad thing in any way? I mean, this we're talking about a five-time All-Star coming back, and it's just exciting to me. I mean, it's been 31 months since we've seen the Splash Brothers together. Uh, and, and Clay Thompson, to be fair, he's not going to – you can't expect him to be Clay Thompson as you, as you love and remember him because it's been 31 months, and he's coming off two of the most serious injuries uh, that a basketball player can suffer and still come back to finish out his career. And listen – Anyone coming back from an injury like this, you're either going to have the KD production where coming off an Achilles, he's now had two of the best seasons of his career, or uh, the late great Kobe Bryant, 2012-2013, he tears his Achilles, comes back too soon, hurts his knee, and really wasn't ever the same player after that. But uh, I have a good feeling about Klay Thompson. Every report we've heard about him has been good so far. Uh, Steve Nash uh, – Steve Nash, oh, my God. Steve Kerr has said that he's going to start – um, he's going to play probably 15, 20 minutes to start out per game, and then they'll ramp that up. But to me, I, this just helps the team so much. You're adding in one of the best shooters uh, in the game. Jordan Poole, who has been pretty much filling in uh, for the, his position, he'll move probably to that second rotation, which I think is really going to help this team a lot. Having that high-caliber player in your second unit alongside Otto Porter Jr., Iguodala, Gary Payton, Damian Lee. I mean, that's your second unit right there, and that's basically been uh, a rotation of your starting lineup in these past few months. So, uh, and and you mentioned Curry hitting a wall. I think that was you, Thomas, who said that. And it, you you talk about a team that's in need of a spark. They're they're coming off their first consecutive pair of losses this season, and bringing Clay Thompson back. Like, what you can't ask for a better spark than that. I think that the Golden State. Uh, strategy, which they also said in their last national TV game that I watched, which was uh, of the Dallas matchup when I, they lost that and they lost it kind of spectacularly because Steph was just really bad in that game. I believe he went like one of eight from the field to start. He went five of 24 from the field to start that game in Dallas. So it wasn't exactly the prettiest of showings, 
But Kelly, you're absolutely correct with Clay coming back at the right time too, when they really need this boost because they've been great to start. Okay. Like we said, 29 and nine, they're second in the West, but they're three and two in their last five. Okay. And the whole, oh, we can survive without Clay for a good while is starting to creep up on them. And Gary Payton, the second, not the dad, who has actually had a career year so far in terms of points, but that's not going to hold up, you know, probably in the next week. And Jordan Poole, who they've already put to the bench, as he should be, uh, was the clay replacement for a good while. And he's done pretty well, 17 and a half points on pretty solid efficiency. I mean, I don't know how much you guys want to say that 45% is, well, that's actually pretty good, I'd say. Um, but he held the fort down pretty well, but now he's going back to the bench because clay is coming. And I I don't see any shame in that. Honestly, if anything, that's going to make them better. And the best part about clay is that he doesn't have to fly to the rim or have the ball in his hand to dribble and do all of this stuff because he plays off the ball and he can just camp in the corner or on a wing. Steph and Draymond can play their mystic, mystic pick and roll thing and then they can just kick to Clay for an open three, and he's going to be fine. I don't see them asking him to do much beyond that. And they also have Andrew Wiggins, too, who kind of fills that void of we need another dribbler. So I have no um, concerns, uh, comments, or questions about how Clay is going to fit back in. I don't think it's going to be too long before they really get this thing rolling with him in the lineup. The fear is that his legs don't fall out underneath him. I think that's going to be the one thing that really concerns everybody. So if they baby him to start, then fine. So be it. Come playoff time, he better be ready to go. And I'm sure he will be ready to go once they go to that NBA West playoff bracket, because that is going to be an absolute bloodbath. I think for the first time in a long time, both conferences are very good uh, in our lifetime. So that's something very nice, but they're going to need him going up against the Phoenix Suns uh, the Lakers, if the Clippers get healthy, who I'm, we're going to get to in a minute, you're going to need your best players and you're going to need everyone healthy to take them down. And there's no better time for him to come back than now. Yeah. I mean, you set it up perfectly here. The, the right now, the one, two, seven, eight consists of Suns, Warriors, Nuggets, Clippers, Clippers, uh, obviously without Paul George right now for, I think it was about two months, they said. So he'll be back before the end of the season. And Kawhi Leonard now is supposed to be able to play this season as well. Uh, there was optimism that he would, and, and that optimism is supposed to be coming true here. Uh, you know, again, the Warriors are are a championship team. Uh, they have that championship core still intact from now. I can't believe it's been five, six. It's been way longer than years, that too. Six years, and then just plus these. You know, these their dynasty core is still there, uh, minus KD from those other two. But those guys have proven they can win. They're still there. Then you look at this Clippers team, if they do match up with them, obviously hypothetical here, and we'll just say this really quick before we wrap. They get Paul George back. They get Kawhi Leonard back. Uh, they've got some good talent around them. The Clippers showed that maybe if they were healthy last year, that would have been their year to get to the finals. Uh, they pushed the Suns to a six-game series without Kawhi. Uh, you know, those guys healthy, people forget, I think, how, how deadly of a duo Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are just on the fact of, uh, they're probably the best two-way players in the league uh, on the same team where just elevate uh, really obviously what superstars do is they elevate the rest of their their teams uh, where 
I would love to see a matchup between the Warriors and Clippers first round because you could really then see, you know, obviously A, are the stars back in shape? Is Clay ready? Is Kawhi ready? Is PG ready? Uh, and B, you know, really who who is at the top? Because the regular season, I think, is slowly starting to, to – I think maybe LeBron pioneered this a bit with the Cavs, but the regular season is slowly starting to not matter as much. Uh, it's just about getting into the playoffs so you know you have a chance. Uh, because the Clippers healthy, yeah, they'd rather take on a weaker team. Uh, but the Clippers healthy in the playoffs probably think they could take on anyone. So that's really, I think, the, the fascinating storyline with Kawhi Leonard coming back. Uh, it was a devastating injury for him last year. No one really expected it, I don't think. Uh, and he now has the chance to come back. The Warrior, or the Clippers just have to kind of fight to stay on that bubble of, you know, 7-8 seed tier. He comes back if they play the play-in game uh, healthy against the Timberwolves or the Spurs. I have no doubts they can win that game. Uh, but, you know, the injuries slowly starting to, I guess, clear the way here. The clouds are starting to move past, uh, especially those Western Conference guys. Uh, it's exciting to see. And I'm, I'm, I'm just really, you know, I hope uh, the Clippers I don't necessarily dislike as a team. Maybe just the L.A. winning is something that I think a lot of people are sick of, including myself. But. Uh, the Clippers are, you know, younger-ish franchise, haven't won anything. Maybe they get a win here. Maybe they pull off something, who knows. But, Thomas, I know you were excited to talk about Kawhi. If you got anything here, let us hear it. So, I, I do want to say that the Clippers are the weirdest team ever simply because if you go down the roster outside of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, it's just very strange role players at this point. I mean, Reggie Jackson, who hasn't been good for – I don't know how long. And fun fact, his basketball reference page says his nationality is Italian. So, hey. What? Uh, Ivaka Zubak, who was a Lakers scrap, who they just gave to the Clippers for free. They picked up Justice Winslow. Brandon Boston, who's been really good. Terrence Mann. Serge Ibaka, who just came off of a back surgery from last year. I mean, this is the strangest role-playing unit I've ever seen just get pieced together and maintain the eighth spot in the West. And that's not exactly easy to do. Now, last night, they got their behinds handed to them by the Suns, 106-89. But you have to give a lot of credit to Lawrence Frank for kind of holding this whole ship thing together. Literally just paper mache band-aiding this whole operation together without Paul George, who's got the elbow thing. Kawhi Leonard, like we said, the report, he may come back earlier because his rehab has been really good. We don't know. Kawhi is a strange man, so you kind of have to let him do his thing. But I do like everything else around this team, as strange of a unit as it is. And I also really do like how they're adding um, people like Eric Bledsoe. They picked him up after that uh, trade. I think it was with the Timberwolves this summer. or they Whoever got him just cut him, and then the, the Clippers were like, oh, a free person, let's pick him up. Uh, they're going to probably, I would assume, try and make a trade come the trade deadline. There's enough stuff where they can put things together and get a, I don't know, an Evan Fournier level of player to that team. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is uh, Boyan Bogdanovich or Jordan Clarkson. I don't know if the Jazz would be willing to give those two up, but again, those are players you can look at. And maybe Karis LeVert is the other one from the Pacers if they're going to blow that whole thing up. So there's a lot of good stuff and a lot of good things in place for when the two star players come back. Uh, the question becomes, can you give them a little bit more juice on offense to help them out and maybe go back to the Western Conference Finals? And if everyone's healthy, can we be seeing an NBA Finals out of these guys? They really are a dark horse candidate, if you think about it. They really are. 
is they can sneak up on you and you think you've got them and then pow, they're going to smack you right in the mouth. So I like what the Clippers are doing. I like how they're holding it down. I find it really funny, but again, if the two stars come back healthy and they make a, a pretty good home run trade deadline move, watch out for the Clippers. Yeah. I guess I like- my, my one comment on that really quickly First of all, I agree, Thomas. It is kind of funny, and it, they've seemed pretty confident. Every time people ask them about it, they're like, oh, yeah, we're, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We know if we're healthy, we'll win. But Marcus Morris said uh, in an interview the other day, he said, to Kawhi, take your time. And I think that's really important because he is coming back really fast. And now it was only partially torn. It wasn't a fully torn ACL. But as speaking from experience, honestly, and I know obviously I'm not an NBA player, but coming back too early from an injury – could cost him another season if he's not careful. So I will say if, if you are confident in this team and being able to at least hover around 500, stay in that playoff push, don't push your luck. That that would be my one little little uh, tidbit on the story. I do so want to add Kawhi, before we wrap up. Listening. Oh, before we wrap up, <laughs> uh, the Dallas series last year when um, they just had no idea how to guard Luka and it was really, it was actually hilarious. And I was being a selfish fan I was rooting for the Mavericks. I'm like, let's go Mavericks. One, because Luka Doncic is going to be the best player one day. And the second reason is, had the Clippers lost, I think the Knicks would have signed Kawhi Leonard. So I was being selfish in that regard. And I wanted the Mavs to win, but Kristaps Porzingis just had to, had to mess it all up. We no, got a lot of speculation four. and uh, bad, bad luck with the Knicks signing free agents. So I don't know. Now it's, it's agree with your for years there. now. But, uh, That'll uh, that'll do it here for us today on Pick and Pod. Uh, it was a great show. Thank you all for listening to us here on the pod. For Nick Feta, Thomas Aiello, and Kelly Bright, Pick and Pod is a production of WFUV Sports. <laughs>